Hi, and welcome to Slices, the Deep Dish Swift podcast. Deep Dish Swift is a Supreme Swift developer conference being served up in Chicago between April 30th and May 2nd. On this podcast, we'll be chatting with the organizers and speakers of the conference. We're Kaya Malin, and in this episode, we're chatting with Vui Nguyen, who is an iOS engineer, volunteer lead at Women Who Code Mobile, Google Women Tech Maker Ambassador, and of course, a speaker of Deep Dish Swift. Welcome. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Hi. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. We're getting close to the conference now, so I'm super I'm like getting very excited to to talk to you and to meet you in person soon. Yeah, we just wanted to wanted to chat with you. Um, let's start out. Um, we would like to uh, let's just start out with where you're based. Uh, yes, uh, I live uh, in Denver, Colorado, uh, in the United States. Awesome. Um, how do you like How do you like Denver? I I was there for two days. Uh, seemed like a lovely city. Well, I'm a Denver native, so I've uh, lived here uh, all my life. Um, but from talking to other people, they say that uh, it's a very nice place uh, <laughs> to to live, to visit. Uh, I do enjoy. Like, there's a lot of uh, natural areas and parks you can go visit. So if you enjoy outdoor activities. Um, like hiking, yeah, yeah, fishing, which is what I enjoy doing. Uh, you know, Colorado is a really great place for those activities. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I love cities that are sort of like it's a city, but it still have the outdoorsy part of it. Vancouver is uh, great in that way as well. Um, um, so I would um, let's start out with um, what you do. Uh, we know that you're an iOS engineer. I would love to know um, how you get into iOS development. Sure, uh, I'd love to share uh, that. I've uh, worked as a software engineer, actually, for over 20 years, and I got into uh, mobile development specifically uh, a little over 10 years ago, but I started as a cross-platform mobile developer hmm. using uh, Titanium, which I tell the kids these days, <laughs> it's, it's something that came before React Native and Flutter, not, not everyone's heard of it. Hmm. And then I transitioned to native uh, iOS development. Uh, in 2016. And so since then, I've been building iOS uh, apps in Objective-C, Swift, um, UI kit, and you know, trying to use Swift UI as much as I possibly can. Yes, I, I have actually never heard of Titanium. Uh, how, what languages do you, do you write then? Uh, so Titanium is based in JavaScript. Okay. How did you find the trans uh, transition from that to then going to native development? Actually, because um, Titanium, like it's in a class of cross-platform that compiles into mm -hmm. native iOS and native Android code. So like, like the process of building uh, mobile apps, like, I found that to be, you know, transferable to mm -hmm. native iOS. And um, it's also benefited me in terms of, you know, now even though I'm primarily a native iOS developer, mm -hmm. but I often work on feature projects at companies where we need to have feature parity mm -hmm. between Android and iOS. So I'm like more cognizant of that, mm -hmm. of these things now that I think I may not be as much if I had just jumped into one platform uh, right away. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, may, that makes sense. Um, and you said you started uh, with that 10 years ago. And before that, you were already a uh, software developer? Oh, uh, yeah. I started um, my software engineering career um, 
doing uh, C++, Java. I worked a lot in uh, defense contracting companies. Um, Mm. So, yeah, I've worked across a lot of different tech stacks Mm. um, over the course of my career. Um, I've done some uh, little bit of front-end web development um, in, like, CSS and HTML and JavaScript Mm -hmm. um, until I discovered that I was not much of a web designer. (laughs) I was more of an application developer. So so that that was very brief. But uh, yeah, I've done a lot of different things uh, Mm. over my long career. Mm. That's very cool. That's great. What made you interested in software development in the first place? Uh, Yeah, that's a, a great question. And when I I saw you post that um, in the document. It made me think, well, you know, how far back do I want to go? (laughs) (laughs) So I think I'll start with, um, first of all, growing up in my family, uh, all my older brothers and sister uh, became uh, engineers and doctors. And Mm -hmm. this was pretty remarkable because of the fact that First of all, uh, I was the first in my family that was born and raised in in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Denver, yeah. um, so that meant like all my older siblings and my parents were all born in Vietnam, and their second language was English. Mm-hmm. 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 So, and my parents themselves didn't have uh, much of an education. Um, so, but the point is, you know, growing up with. Uh, this example that I had, it just never mm-hmm. occurred to me that I would do anything that didn't involve science or engineering. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And then later on, uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, earn a full ride scholarship to attend the Colorado School of Mines. And mm-hmm. between uh, taking coding classes in high school and at college, I discovered that. Um, you know, programming was a lot of fun, so I decided mm-hmm. to major. Mm-hmm. That's very cool that you had high school uh, programming classes. That was always something in my school that I was hoping s- someone would offer, but our computer classes were more more around how to turn on a computer and how to open Word <laughs> than programming. I'm always impressed that a lot of American friends of ours had um, software development classes somehow in, in way earlier education. Which is cool. Yeah, I guess I was very fortunate. Uh, so, so this happened in the early and mid '90s, and I was uh, they tossed a program in high school in BASIC, like mm-hmm. that was the name of the programming mm. language. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was BASIC. And then uh, in college, um, when I went to Colorado School of Mines, they had like all the freshmen take an introductory programming class and this is a little bit embarrassing but they taught us in fortran so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's really cool and i think um that that's pretty unique to school the school of mine f- to have all freshmen um going through a computer science course right um i don't know if that was uh, unusual but i mean it is an engineering school so um hmm. maybe that's why they made that a requirement for all the incoming students. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's that's really cool because I do think many people are not really exposed to what computer science really is or what programming really entails. I think you, I mean, the, the sort of famous thing from like 
the, the TV show Friends, everyone knew that Chandler works with computers somehow. Like I think he probably was a programmer, but no one really knew what that meant. And I think um, like actually having like exposure and realizing like, well, programming is, it's not just sitting at a computer. It's like solving problems. It's thinking like critical thinking. It's right. uh, like finding solutions to problems. I think that is something that's very appealing to a lot of people who might not have been exposed to it if they... Uh, so they, I think it's it's cool that you sort of get an early introduction to it. It's interesting that um, you say that because um, I remember talking to uh, my husband uh, about this and he said, you know, he, um, uh, he says he's from um, Grand Junction, Colorado and in his mm. high school um, at the time and, and uh, he's only five years younger than me so he was you know, in high school and I guess late, late nineties, but he said that his high school didn't offer programming classes. So I mm -hmm. guess looking back, maybe I was lucky that I had that exposure to uh, coding, you know, in, in high school and my, my freshman year in college. Cause I guess back then that I'm learning now that wasn't the case. For everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Um, so um, apart from working as an iOS developer, you're also very involved in the community. Uh, you, you've been working with um, both Women Who Code and Google Women Tech Makers. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell us a bit about how you got involved in that? Uh, sure. Um, so um, if, if you don't mind me, again, there's, there's a little bit of a story about how I got no, we're yeah, here for the stories. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also um, feel free to like go into detail. I think mm -hmm. I, I know what uh, Women Who Code is, but I don't have much exposure to uh, Google's Women Tech Makers. So if sure. you want to tell us a bit about the organizations too. Well, both of them, um, uh, the Google Women Tech Makers, of course, is um, associated with Google and Women Code is their own uh, nonprofit um organization um, that's uh, based in the U.S., but you know, we have members from all over the world, both of them do, and they both uh, have very similar uh, mission, which is to uh, help uh, women technologists uh, excel in, in their careers. Um, so let me start with how I got involved with women who yeah. vote first. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, I uh, started doing mobile development uh, at first cross-platform in Titanium. And uh, around that time, uh, I was also a, a Titan, um, which I tell people is like a fancy term for a volunteer evangelist for Titanium. So mm -hmm. I was actually recognized yeah. by Accelerator, um, who... Um, you know, was the company that made Titanium at the time. Mm. It was recognized by the company uh, as an expert and an evangelist of Titanium. And mm. uh, mm -hmm. around that time, I also um, ran my own technical meetup mm -hmm. on Titanium in the Denver area you know, where I live mm -hmm. for a couple of years. So I did that. I uh, was promoting Titanium, speaking about Titanium at my meetup and at other uh, technical meetups in my local area. Mm. And I learned a lot from that experience, and I really developed my leadership and speaking skills from that time. But, you know, something was missing, though, and I didn't know what it was back then. 
and then around the time when I start to transition to um, native iOS development, um, there were all these opportunities popping up uh, to get involved with uh, all sorts of women in tech organizations. This is around the time when they start becoming more popular and well, uh, well known. So then I start getting involved with those, uh, giving talks and teaching coding workshops through organizations like Rails Bridge, um, Grills Develop It, and of course, Women Who Code. Um, but this time, like, something was different because when I noticed that when I was running my own uh, technical meetup in Titanium, even though I was very good at what I did, like a lot of people treated me like I was an organizer of the meetup mm-hmm. instead of the technical expert that I was. And then I noticed when I did exactly the same things, you know, giving talks, teaching coding workshops, but I was doing them for these women in tech organizations, suddenly, like, all these women started looking up to me and like, mm-hmm. just showing, like, how appreciative they were of my time and uh, mm-hmm. my expertise. And I found this community was so supportive of me. And again, I was the same person mm-hmm. doing exactly mm-hmm. the same things, but for a different audience. But the reception to me was completely different. So mm-hmm. that's when I realized that this community of women in tech, like this is the, the community that I need to serve. Mm-hmm. That's, that's interesting. Do you think it is partly that, um, do you think people might take community meetups more for granted whilst when there is something like women who code um that is sort of a bit more formalized and very specifically for a group of people do you think people might be appreciate more appreciative of the time that you put in and do you think there's a part of that um well i think honestly um i think it's the fact that um that the 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 people that I was um, doing these talks and teaching these workshops mm. for. I think the fact that the audience was mostly women, and mm-hmm. um, and I and I noticed that it, it, this this happened repeatedly. I was um, mm-hmm. doing these activities for these different groups, and I just noticed it was just so very different. Mm. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Um... Was there, I was also curious, when you were running your own meetups, did you find that there were, what was the split there? Um, was it ma- the majority? Um, um, yeah, it was mostly non-women. men. Um, hmm. It was mostly men that uh, attended uh, my meetups. All right. And then the women who code, I know you're at the moment, a lot of things are online, but was that one in person in the same area? Uh, so... Um, how women code works is there's um it's broken up into local chapters mm-hmm. um and which uh take place all over the world and then they also mm-hmm. have these uh technical stack uh tracks as well including uh mobile so um so i first started by uh being involved in there was a, a local um chapter in my area mm-hmm. in the Boulder Denver area so I got involved with that uh, in person at mm-hmm. first, mm-hmm. and then in 2019 uh, was when the the mobile track um, came out, and that was this all online 
over Slack. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, mm-hmm. uh, and there were uh, members there were from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And, and when that opened up, I, I joined that and I've been active uh, ever since. Oh, that's that's awesome. So basically what you do as a, um, now you're basically a, it's called a volunteer lead, mm-hmm. um, right? What does that entail on your, in your like day-to-day basis? What do you, what do you do today for the organization? Sure. Um, there's a lot of uh, flexibility um, as a, a volunteer uh, lead. Uh, basically you, you can step up and um, uh, you know, give talks or uh, uh, plan events, um, organize events, um, you know, just whatever you choose to do as your time allows. Um, But there were uh, a couple of significant um, uh, events that I had uh, ran as uh, a lead for Mm -hmm. the Women Code uh, Mobile that, that made a pretty big impact. Uh, one of them was uh, I taught uh, a workshop on open source um, mm-hmm. in early 2020 when uh, the uh, pandemic first started, like mm-hmm. getting into high gear. And um, the the so I gave like a a talk over Zoom, and I also uh, built um, a very simple. Uh, GitHub project. It was like, uh, you know, getting people to like uh, update a a README file uh, mm-hmm. to add what their favorite ice cream flavor was. Uh, so mm-hmm. then after I gave my talk, we moved uh, to Slack um, to mm-hmm. uh, do the exercise, and then we can get people to to join and you know create their own um, uh, submit their own pull requests and stuff. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I would. Um, I would review them and, and, you know, and help them actually get hands-on experience doing that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And what was kind of crazy was uh, prior to um, me giving um, that talk, uh, on average, uh, the Women Code mobile uh, webinars got about maybe 20 people on average, and I was expecting that. Mm -hmm. but. You know, the pandemic had just started, and Women Code was mm-hmm. like really promoting my talk big time and everything. So then, when it came time, actually, I saw over a hundred people had joined oh, wow. my webinar. Yeah, and then at least like two or three dozen uh, joined the Slack after that to do the hands-on exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, That's great. So that was one thing that I did that was very impactful. Uh, another um, uh, event that I held was uh, teaching a couple of lightning talk workshops um, mm-hmm. where uh, I uh, mentored a handful of uh, people through the Women Code Mobile Slack, uh, uh, mentored them on their uh, their talks and their slides, and then mm-hmm. held a couple of um meetups over Zoom where the participants then gave their talks. And uh, and fun fact, uh, one of uh, uh, alumni from my Lightning Talk workshop is actually Daniela, who is one no. of the speakers yeah. <laughs> at... Uh, That's EP. great. So, yeah. um, and, and I guess it, it's, it's made a huge impact on her because uh, she told me that um, 
that was the first uh, technical talk she ever gave. Yeah. And uh, since then, like every time I uh, check uh, my LinkedIn feed or, or Twitter feed, oh, I was speaking at another conference. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Just, you know, so proud of her. And uh, I'm really excited that I'll be able to actually meet her in person because <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All this happened online. Yeah. I have never met her um, in person yet, but I will. That's crazy. Do you have any advice for people that want to get involved uh, in Women Who Code? Uh, Yeah. So uh, I would say um, go to womenwhocode.com. And then from there, there's like a a networks button. And and then there you can look for network. Again, you can search for one in your local area there they've now started allowing um local networks to meet in person again uh, mm-hmm. or you can look for um one by uh your tech stack and you know like for example you can look for mobile or uh front end there's cloud mm. there may be a data science one i don't all the, the the tech communities tech specific mm-hmm. yeah yeah um, but yeah, you can look those up and then uh, attend an event and yeah, just start meeting people that way. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, I think also um, you you touched a bit on um, your workshop, I think seemed like a really cool way for people to start giving talks. But if people were not fortunate to be at your <laughs> workshop, how like, do you have any recommendations for people to get started giving technical talk? Because I do think like once you unlock that and you sort of get over that initial talk i think you you can continue giving more and more talks um so i think it's cool to be able to unlock that do you have a suggestion for people to get into yeah um my one one suggestion i would give is to um you know reach out to uh your local meetups and um and offer to give a talk and um you know since I, I used to be a meetup organizer myself, mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. how hard it yep. is to get speakers. Yep. So, um, yeah, so like, go to a meetup that, that, that you're interested in, that, that you're pretty active in, and, you know, contact the, the leaders or organizers of that meetup and say, I'd love to give a talk. Um, yep. You could even just... Um, offer to give a lightning talk or say, Hey, do you think you might have a, a lightning talk meetup at some point mm-hmm. that way, you know, you can have several speakers and each one gives like a 10 to 15 minute talk. So it's mm-hmm. like an easy way to like break into speaking without like all that pressure of giving mm-hmm. a big yeah. talk. And yeah. uh, it's a lot easier to get in that way because it can be really hard to, get your talk accepted into a conference. Like if that's like your way to get into it, it's really mm-hmm. hard to break in that way. So if you break in slowly by maybe giving a lightning talk at a local meetup, um, you know, yeah. and you get more practice yeah. that way and then eventually you get better at it. I can also guarantee that there won't be any meetup organizers who wouldn't appreciate someone proactively yep. reaching out. Yeah, I was going to say the same. I, I've been talking to, um, I remember talking to many meetup organizers. I mean, I'm organizing meetups mm. myself. And I think often um, many people are surprised 
that meetup organizers are looking for speakers because <laughs> the meetup is so well planned and it looks so well put together. And then like being an organizer on the other, other side, I'm like really shuffling and trying to get everything to work and getting to trying to get speakers, reaching out to people. But I think often it's like when you see uh, when you go to a meetup and when you see this sort of complete um, complete meetup, then people are like, oh, they got this, they got everything very well organized and put together. I, I don't need to, I don't need to, like, uh, I don't want to bother them, but I think often, like, oh, I would love if people people come up and ask me <laughs> yeah. to give a talk. Uh, it's, it's super, it, it really is a great way of contributing to the community. It's really hard to, to have an activity uh, or a speaker uh, every month, you know, if that's your case. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's a lot. It's a lot harder running a meetup than some people think. <laughs> I just, yeah, yeah. Organizers, they definitely appreciate it if, if you mm. are willing to volunteer. Yeah, that's why our meetups always end up turning into more social meetups because it's so hard to find speakers every every whatever cadence you pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, but also, you know, like when you. Uh, start speaking that also helps you to to meet people too and uh, of course you get better at it at speaking if you do that a lot so you know i'm a lot more comfortable uh giving talks now but i've been doing it for you know over 10 years uh, starting with mm-hmm. running my own meetup so um and i i you know i'm uh i'm an introvert i'm soft-spoken uh, but I've gotten better at this just because I just did it a lot. Mm-hmm. And I started to um, another benefit that I got, again, meeting people uh, for for a long time, and I don't know if this is the case now because, uh, you know, COVID just kind of upended in-person meetups. Um, but for a long time, because I was running my own meetup and, and giving uh, all these technical talks, all these local tech meetups in the Denver area, um, whenever I would go to uh, a meetup, even if I wasn't speaking at that time, I would bump into people that already knew me or recognized Mm -hmm. me as I attended this event. Mm -hmm. They saw me speaking over here. And that was really good for me because then I didn't have to go through the awkwardness of trying (laughs) to make small talk with strangers every single time I attended Mm meetup so that over time that actually made it a lot easier for me to to be more active mm-hmm. in the tech community because i had already done all the hard work of networking and speaking and so forth uh and even now like because i'm active as a volunteer and um, women who code um again you know yeah i still meet new people all the time on the slack and and on the Zoom webinars and other uh, events, but I spend less time uh, like introducing myself and going through the awkwardness with mm-hmm. new people every single time. That that happens less now. People just know me now. Yep, it's a good point. That uh, yeah, I feel I definitely feel the same. Um, so shifting gears a little bit uh, outside of um, iOS development and software development and all the meetups and and organizations that you're are you contributing to what what do you like to do in your free time uh, yeah. so um what i like to do for fun is um well this happens more when the weather's warmer but i like to go fishing 
I just checked. Denver has some really nice warm days coming up. It's really going from freezing cold, uh, I think, today to, to quite hot in the next few days. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward um, to the warmer weather and spring fishing is, is really great. Um, it's a great time to go uh, catch trout if you're lucky. And, <laughs> but yeah, I also love um, taking trips with my husband. And even if we take like just short road trips, um, mm -hmm. usually to go fishing. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, is there? Um, do you find that road trip is usually your preferred way of of traveling, or do you? Uh, I'm thinking when you're in Denver, you would probably have quite a lot of different spots you can go to. Oh yeah, there's a lot of beautiful places uh, you can go uh, visit uh, on road trips. Um, like uh, there's a lot of places you can go. Uh, you know, within like you can drive about an hour from Denver and get to the mountains that way. Mm -hmm. You know, you can go to some really beautiful places about two or three hours drive uh, away. So um, the, the fun thing is um, I, I find, you know, my husband and I, we, we find that uh, road trips are pretty relaxing because it's stressful mm -hmm. flying, mm -hmm. right? You're like, you're on their schedule and there's all these rules and you have to go through security and everything. Mm -hmm. um, but with a road trip, you just hop in your car whenever you're ready. Um, mm -hmm. you take whatever breaks you want. Mm -hmm. the way. You know, it can do it much more, uh, much more leisurely, mm -hmm. I guess. Yep. And, mm -hmm. and we enjoy like listening to podcasts. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> while we're uh in the car so it's uh, as much about the journey as it is the destination uh speaking of destinations have you been to <laughs> chicago before uh i have not uh unless you count um the times that i i stopped over the the airport uh, <laughs> for a connecting flight um but i'm really excited to visit chicago and try out all the famous uh chicago deep dish uh pizza <laughs> yeah we've learned a lot about very particular chicago foods uh opinions in general the ketchup thing was new to me the, the entire uh hot dog <laughs> passion i i was not aware of it's quite and i mean we also haven't had deep dish pizza yet so it will be interesting i don't quite know what to expect <laughs> Um, yeah, and once we are in Chicago, I'm, I'm going to try to use as good of a bridge as you did just then, okay? Once we're in Chicago, uh, you'll be giving a talk. What's the what's the title of the talk and what will you be talking about? Uh, yes, so uh, my talk is called uh, Make Porting Custom Swift UI Design Elements Easy with Swift Packages. And then mm -hmm. that sounds like a mouthful. Uh, but that <laughs> is... Um, I'm going to show people how to, you know, if if, if you want to um, say import uh, custom fonts, uh, mm -hmm. colors into uh, your app, uh, and be able to like apply them to your Swift UI views uh, using um, you know, standard Swift UI modifier syntax. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, I'll show you how to do that and. Uh, nice thing is by building your design library as uh, 
as a SWIFT package, then you can drop this into uh, multiple projects. Mm-hmm. And I, I see this being handy because, um, you know, this was actually a problem that I solved at my last job uh, because I was working on a client project and um, our client actually has multiple apps and mm-hmm. they all want them to have like the same theme and branding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Company, right? And uh, and at the time, uh, I was I was building this app and you know building this design library to make the the code more modular. But mm-hmm. it had like the added side benefit of oh, we can also take this same design library mm-hmm. and drop mm-hmm. it in the client's other apps too, and then mm-hmm. everything will look the same. Um, so it just so happened that it it solved a problem. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that I was having, and uh, and I, I looked around, and you know, I noticed there's plenty of libraries out there for uh, networking, mm-hmm. for business logic, and there's even uh, you know Swift packages out there for um, like reusing uh, custom Swift UI components, mm-hmm. but nothing about. Um, being able to to reuse the theme mm-hmm. brand, um, you know, across projects. So I'm like, I think this is a a problem that I have mm-hmm. not seen a good solution for. Uh, mm-hmm. So maybe this talk is a great opportunity to share that. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and you've given a lot of a lot of talks. Uh, how do you like to prepare for for your talks? Yeah, so um so first um before I dig into like you know a talk I want to give uh it's always important to ask like what problem are you trying to solve? Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. the pain point? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really what your talk should address. Mm-hmm. And then um then I once I identify what problem I'm trying to solve, then I will start by building a sample project that mm-hmm. uh, provides a solution mm-hmm. to that problem. Um, and then in, in this case, uh, I kind of, I kind of took like what I did for my job and built a sample project. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Take no, without any of the proprietary details. Yep. Of course. <laughs> uh, and then once you have a, a sample project built, then, um, you know, I'll build, uh, I'll write up like an outline, um, high level mm-hmm. outline or overview of my talk, and then I can um, start to uh, you know flesh that out. Um, mm-hmm. And I will um, practice giving my talk, uh, you know, to some trusted friends, and <laughs> and then improve and uh, and then repeat. Uh, and in fact. Um, uh, Susanna, who is uh, one of the uh, conference volunteers, has offered to help um, review my talk and give me feedback. I'm meeting awesome. with her tomorrow, so I'm uh, really excited uh, about that and really appreciative that she's going to help me out. Yeah, yeah. It, it's so really good. I think it, it's always... Like there's always things that you just notice, not just when saying things out loud, but also just when when having someone seeing someone's reactions. You know, like there are things that you can improve, and just it's it's 
really helpful to just be able to iterate on that talk and mm. actually get um, get feedback on it. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, I, I I tell myself like my talk makes sense to me, but I understand everything <laughs> going on in my head. Right? Yeah. One that's like not in my head. They don't know. They don't understand my process and everything. Mm. Yeah. It's always it, it's it's hard to be able to um, explain things in a way that other people that don't think like you can understand it as mm. well. Yeah. So yeah. Getting that feedback is very crucial. Yeah. Um, all right. I think we are. Let's move over to our rapid fire rapid questions. Fire. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the first one is: uh, What is your favorite iOS app? I would say um, I'm going to cheat and say it's going to be a tie between the Oregon Trail on Apple Arcade mm-hmm. and Spotify. All right. Two very different apps. I like it. <laughs> You're doing the Apple um, trick of. Uh, Picking, picking one from each tab in the App Store. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what's your favorite Mac app? Uh, oh, I know this is like very work-related, but uh, I'm really digging the, you know, the Git version control tool called Fork. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, great. Pick. I use it too. And a huge yeah, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also by two indie developers. So mm. I love I always love supporting that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and how about iPhone? What's your favorite iPhone model ever made? Uh, I think I'm uh, I'm still nostalgic over my phone, my first iPhone, which mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. Uh, iPhone 4S. All right. Mm. We should keep tally, but I think the 4 Series might be currently in the lead for most yeah. often picked as favorite iPhone. <laughs> um, and what's your favorite food or food item. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's a tough one because I do like eating so many different things. So it's hard <laughs> to pick one. But I would say uh, for special occasions or I'm celebrating something, uh, I love having good seafood. All right. Yeah. Oh, no, that's... How is the seafood in Denver? Um, it, uh, it can be challenging finding <laughs> good seafood in a landlocked area. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, I, I do have to admit, I, uh, it's, it's good. Um, but if I have a chance to have seafood, like when I'm visiting, um, either coast, yes, yeah. 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 you take advantage of that because yeah. yeah. best when it's that fresh. Yeah. We have a friend that moved to Denver from the Northeast. And he, he, every time he's going to either coast, he's he's essentially living off seafood. Uh, mm. <laughs> mm. Um, so the last question, which is more of a mini segment within the questions, is the two truths, uh, two truths and a lie. And um, yeah, so you will basically want to know like two two truths and a lie, but we don't want you to reveal it on mm-hmm. the podcast, and uh, so people have a chance to guess and come up and chat to you about it at the conference. Sure. So, um, my two truths and a lie, and not in any particular order, <laughs> is, um, so I, I mentioned, uh, I like to do a lot of fishing. So, um, I like to say that I once caught a coconut salmon. Okay. <laughs> All right. The next one is I once caught a northern pike. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. And I like the theme not fishing related is 
I once traveled to Beijing, China, to participate in an IoT hackathon competition. Oh, I like all of those. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, and last question: Where can people find you online? Uh, sure. So people can uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Sunfish Girl, and that's Sunfish G U R L. Um, mm -hmm. You can also follow my blog at uh, sunfishempire.com, which also forwards to sunfishempire.wordpress.com. <laughs> and uh, if you like to connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, send me an invite. Uh, please say that uh, you heard uh, about my <laughs> and then I would love to accept your invitation. Great. Um, awesome. We also put links to everything into the show notes. And thanks for listening to this episode of Slices. The Deep Dish Swift Conference is happening in Chicago from April 30th to May 2nd. Usually we also talk about tickets, but uh, breaking news, uh, this is the first episode we're recording when the tickets are actually sold out. Uh, there is a wait list, and I know that Josh is working on trying to figure things out. So if, if, you're, if you want to come to a conference and you've not, you <laughs> procrastinated on ticket purchases, uh, <laughs> getting yourself onto the wait list is probably the best, best thing you can do right now. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, thanks again for joining. Uh, it was great chatting with you. It was so great uh, chatting with you, Kai and Malin, and... Uh... Yeah, thank you so much uh, for your time. And I'm just really excited to uh, meet everyone at Deep Dish Swift. Me too. So close now. <laughs> <laughs>